Hey listeners, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. On this episode, Nick Fay, head of Off the Glass and host of the NBA Outlet and Brooklyn Buzz podcasts, joins us to discuss the Nets and all things NBA. Enjoy. Thank you for joining us. I wanted to just get started. Um, if you could just jump into the off the glass platform and um, what you're trying to accomplish there and maybe when that started and and yeah, what the goals are. Yeah, Ryan, Kyle, super happy to be here. Obviously, appreciate you guys having me on and talking about the platform. Off the glass has been around now for about five plus years. It's come a long way from when it first started. You know, actually, it started off as just a blog myself. And then I had a couple of friends want to get involved with a little bit. So the next thing you know, we took it to being an MBA platform, you know, and the goal was to be, you know, one of the top MBA content creators. And over time, it's kind of changed. Like we were pretty big into writing when we first started and then slowly added podcasts. And now we're, I don't want to say fully transitioned to podcasts, but that's definitely our main focus. And then we're also looking to kind of do some video content while also still having high quality articles that really like bring value to the writer instead of some of that like busy content you might see on other platforms. Like we really want to make you either think or learn something from the article or either even make you laugh. You know what I mean? Like we don't want to provide you just almost like what I would call homework content. You know what I mean? It's just like stuff that's put out there that's not really interesting and doesn't really like, hey, I don't really need to go back to this site because that was kind of boring. Like we're trying to provide you with something special, unique, and that'll make you want to keep coming back. Definitely, yeah. I wanted to ask because obviously it's difficult to differentiate yourself, um, especially in the MBA um, environment. But just from my own experience, there's definitely a lack of... um, of analysis, whether it's on some of the national channels or um, yeah. on NBA TV. So I think we see more now um, different content sites trying to come out with more unique videos, whether it's analytical um, or more video based. Do you kind of feel the same way? And is that kind of where you see off the glass trending? Yeah, I think one thing that we try to do is try to be like credible and respectable. Like we don't try to put out like nonsense. Like I'm not trying to put out a hot take that's going to get me 10,000 clicks just because I want the clicks. Like I'd rather put out a piece of content that gets 10,000 clicks because, ah, wow, that was really good. And I want to show my friends. So like you're saying, like actually analyzing the game and breaking things down. But I also think like adding a little personality to it, you know, like a little bit of your unique twist, whatever it might be. You know, for example, on the outlet, like our flagship podcast, in which I host with Corey Waldron, uh, we will try to do different segments and turn them into game shows. Like we'll do like what we call like guess who. So he'll throw a stat line at us and we have to try to guess the player. And he might give us like the division or the conference or something like that or position. But I think like 
it's almost like trying to make it a little bit more fun and enjoyable. And like you said, bring your own twist on it, because if not, someone else is probably doing the same thing because the NBA market is probably one of the most saturated ones in the world, just given how everything is expanded and everything's so accessible. Yeah, that's a really good point, um, especially just with how large the, uh, the NBA Twitter, like NBA yep. Twitter is like its own whole universe and everyone knows about it. But one of the main things we talk about, which goes to what you guys are both just saying, is like um, you're always kind of wondering when you're watching like the the broadcast, not even the broadcast, but like pregame or postgame. It's like, who's this really intended for? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> especially lately. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, and that goes across sports, but it's like, you know, you get like your, you know, your emotional pieces, but it's also like weird background stuff about players where you're like, you're just totally not interested. Like it's kind of seems like it's tailored for like, you know, teenagers or, you know, even younger than that potentially, but like, you know, those people really aren't like diving into like, you know, they're not counting down the seconds until the game's starting. Like, it seems like there's such a base of people that, you know, have the knowledge of what they, you know, like what you want to see with like on off splits or what yep. pairings worked well together. Like, that type of deep dive stuff um, that it just doesn't seem like you're getting with like, um, you know, general broadcast. So yeah, like you said, like it's, uh, I think it's very commendable that you guys are trying to, um, you know, provide it in a different way. Yeah. I think like, to be honest, what those pregames, those halftimes, those post games, a lot of the stuff you see on ESPN, sometimes NBA TV is just kind of for casual fans. You know what I mean? And I think there's, with everything being so accessible and so many different statistics and videos out there, like a lot of fans are looking for that next level. Like they're looking for like, Hey, how can I learn a little bit more about the game or have an understanding like, Oh, this pair is good. Why is this duo good? Well, it's because this guy can space the floor and this guy can attack the paint. Like there's reason things work other than them just being really, really good players. And I feel like sometimes when you just listen to the general NBA media, it's just like, Oh yeah, that guy's really, really good. Okay. Why is he really, really good? Or why is this fit so good? Or why is this fit terrible? Or why are you just showcasing a bias towards a specific player? Because, you know, maybe you don't like what they do off the court. Yeah, I think, too, there are so many different ways to watch an NBA game. Yep. Like a lot of the people that are watching film would say that the only way to truly understand what's going on is to rewind and rewatch the same play three or four times. And I get made fun of by some of my friends. I'm a big YouTube guy, and I find that on YouTube, you could actually find some of this info where you're actually learning yep. more about the game, learning what to watch and what to look out for. But, yeah, if you're watching a game, I mean, unless you're rewinding the plays, I feel like the easiest way to learn is just to – maybe watch a certain player, but that could be unrealistic at times too, you know? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think if you truly want to learn about the game to a deeper extent, like you said, it's rewatching the game because you can't watch all five players. You maybe can understand in a set or a replay. Like one thing I do on my Twitter a lot is I'll post um, clips from the Nets games and sometimes I'll just do it to be a highlight play, but occasionally I'll watch the replay, like, because I'm posting it and I'll be like, oh, wow, like this guy did something off ball that resulted in that play happening. So I agree. I think it's incredibly difficult when you're actually watching the game to break thing, break everything down, but you just kind of have to be, you have to have a base idea of players too. You know what I mean? Like, for example, for me, like with the Brooklyn Nets, I cover them with the Brooklyn Buzz. So like, I know every player's strength, weakness, and what they're going to do. So if X player makes the same mistake over and over again. I feel comfortable saying like, hey. Uh, TLC can't close out like he fouls half the time you know what I mean so there's just different things that you're going to pick out pick up on and I also think like the reason it's so hard for general NBA media is because there is 30 teams and you can't watch every game every night you know people will tell you they do but unless you're paid professionally to do this that's the only way you're going to wake up the next day and watch the entire slate when you have I don't know you know Timberwolves versus Pistons or something like that yeah 
And I think like that being said, like you're watching all these Nets games, but you've been doing it for like a, a little bit, a little while now. But like, I feel like the first step is like you have to learn what you need to learn. Yep. You know, in terms of what you're watching, if that makes sense. Like, um, you know, I played I played college football. Um, so you know, watching film every day was like an absolute grind. But when you first go in, you don't even know what you're watching. You don't yeah. like, you don't need to, like, you don't know what you need to learn. So, you know, the first full years, like you're learning how to watch the film. Like you're learning like what makes plays work. Yeah. Um, and then you learn how that's done. So it's a long process for sure. I think that's a great point right there is kind of having an understanding of not only like the players and specifically on that team and where they stand. And if it's just kind of an outlier, but more so like the system and the scheme and what they're trying to do. And I think as fans and even media journalists, whatever you want to call it, that's sometimes extremely difficult because you really don't know what they're trying to do. You don't know, you know, who is supposed to have that responsibility. You'll see a lot of times from film guys on NBA Twitter, they'll be arguing like, no, that was his responsibility. No, that was his responsibility. And at the well, end of the day, especially because after, after the play and they give up a bucket, they'll be pointing to each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we really have no idea. And sometimes you'll see the players discussing and then they'll go to the coach to kind of settle the debate. And it's like, that's how complicated rotations can be in the NBA, especially when you're dealing with different skill sets every night, you know, like, if you're going against, let's say, you know, Ben Simmons, who can't shoot threes, and then you're going against Steph Curry, who is one of the greatest, if not the greatest shooter of all time, you're going to have to defend those guys completely differently. Yep. Yeah, I think it's definitely an interesting topic because I think your casual fan kind of views the NBA as, oh, there's only seven or eight guys that really are playing real minutes for each yeah. team. I can easily understand what's going on, but it's to the extent they where they don't play defense, which is infuriating. Yeah, because, <laughs> yeah, they make like it's not that, like it's not challenging to cover these guys, but at the same time, too. Um, there's, there's situations where because a guy early on the possession didn't cut hard, he ruined the entire yep. rotation on the play. And I mean, a lot of, a lot of the casual fans would probably turn a blind eye to it, but I wanted, Nick, I wanted to get to, obviously the Nets are one of the most, uh, talked about teams in the league, just a general thought on what's your reaction been so far watching this big three. I mean, I've just enjoyed every single moment of it. One thing I've kind of done as I've gotten older is try to enjoy sports and specific moments that you know essentially end up being historical. Like this is the most talented big three ever assembled in terms of just pure individual talent. So I'm going to watch it every night and try to enjoy it and dissect it. And I've been a Nets fan my entire life. So I've gone through some pretty miserable seasons. I've had season tickets when they were in New Jersey. So like I've seen some bad stuff and even I'm lucky enough to watch one of these stars play for my team and Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden, I'd be excited. But the fact I get to see all three play, I mean, there was just a stretch in that game against the Clippers this past week where the fourth quarter was like James Harden step back, KD contested three, Kyrie with some magical finish. It's just like, damn, these all these dudes are on the same team. I'm just going to sit here and enjoy it. And I know there's been a lot of hate, and I don't really listen to the national media, ton, to be honest. Like I have a couple guys I really like, but for the most part, it's funny is because I, I know the Nets so well that like I'll hear them make comments about the Nets, and they'll just be completely incorrect. Just And it's not about James Harden, Kyrie, or Kevin Durant. It'll be like about a guy like Bruce Brown, TLC, or you know Jeff Green or something something like that, where it's like, actually, that guy's like pretty good at doing that. I'm not sure what you're talking about, but uh, I've just really tried to enjoy it and just having the luxury of watching this amount of basketball talent take the floor. And I think it's just, it's going to be a roller coaster to the regular season, uh, regular season, but it should start to steady out towards the postseason. Yeah. Well, piggybacking off of that, um, how much do you think the team and, you know, you as a, you know, a well, a well-learned fan, are really taking account into like actual win loss results 
rather than just, you know, like schematically what they're trying to do. Um, you know, they're tinkering around with different rosters, different lineups, different strategies. How much do you think they're really, you know, obviously they want to win, but, you know, they want to win in June. Uh, yeah. than they want to do in February. So I host the Brooklyn Buzz, my co-host, Jack Manuel, Australian. He's a little bit more emotional than I am. I try to look a little bit more long-term. So I think it's it's really easy to get upset about the losses, but sometimes I'll just look at a loss. Like for example, that loss they had to the Wizards uh, a Sunday or two ago. And that was just terrible. That's it was horrendous. Westbrook. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was brutal. And, and a lot of it, like I'm not going to get upset about the game because they literally played defense like it was an all-star game. You know what I mean? Like it's purely a, a effort thing. And I think that's a lot of the time is like, Hey, if these guys aren't playing with high effort, like how much can I really take from this game? A game like the Clippers where they're going all out or a game against the bucks or something like that. Okay. Like they actually can play defense. They can get stops when they need to. I think a lot of it is like you said, like this team is still learning themselves. They're learning the lineups. Steve Nash is a rookie head coach and he's just got thrown three superstars, which seems easy, but at the same time is really difficult to balance. And up to a few days ago, like the roster only had 12 players. You know what I mean? And two two-way guys. So they just added Amon Shumpert, Norvell Pell, and Noah Vonley today, which aren't big names or anything like that, but just kind of adding bodies. So I'm I'm intrigued to see as it progresses. And I think just the scheme thing was a, a big, I think a big point that you brought up, Kyle, is the fact is like Steve Nash has been running the same defensive scheme majority of the time because he doesn't want to go on to another one until they perfect this or can run this at a competent level. And right now they're not able to do that. So I think you're going to see a lot of struggles until they're able to perfect things. And another factor in that is the shortened season, COVID-19, guys missing time. I think it was brought up today by Malika Andrews on a podcast. Like the Nets have practiced a handful of times since the James Harden trade. And that's a player who's played completely different in Houston in comparison to how he's playing in Brooklyn. Yeah, I heard that on the uh, Hoop Collective as well. We're big, uh, windy guys. <laughs> um, I wanted He's to ask you, taste. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, he can get sassy. Um, <laughs> it's not funny, but I love it. <laughs> I wanted to ask you too, because I think this Nets team is obviously well suited for the postseason in that when you're playing seven or eight guys, clearly of those seven, you have the Duran, Irving, Harden trio. But do you think that? We know they're going to try to acquire some more defensive players, but do you think that asking Durant to have such responsibility defensively, especially this season coming off the injury, is a bit much for him? You know what? If you asked me that before they acquired James Harden, I probably would have said yes and 100%. But the fact is that I think James Harden has alleviated a lot of the offensive pressure. He's really come to the nets and become a point guard. Like he's just really been a little bit more passive. I think he'll get more aggressive as time picks up. I feel probably more comfortable with it now than I did if it was just Kyrie and KD and no disrespect to Kyrie Irving, but he's just not the same stature of player that James Harden is. And I actually think like James Harden's defense has been pretty solid for the Nets. You know, he's had his couple effort plays where he's not great, but I think James Harden is an easier defender to have in the postseason than sometimes where Kyrie Irving will probably be attacked a little bit more. So I'm okay with Harden and how he's going to alleviate some of the pressure off KD. Yeah. Harden's probably one of their best post defenders. He probably, I mean, he really, he's done a solid job. Like he think one thing about James Harden is he's probably one of the strongest dudes in the NBA that no one talks about. And he's a thick boy as we saw (laughs) some of those rocket screenshots. But yeah, um, like you said, um, the way he's playing is definitely obviously a little bit different than the James ball in Houston. Um, It's almost like a, uh, a juiced up version of him when he was like the sixth man with OKC because he would come in and run the bench squad there, but like, it obviously wouldn't just be like one at the top and everyone's space out for him. So yep. it's like, he's, you know, adapting um, over like, obviously it was eight years ago, but you know, 
Definitely. I even think when he first came to Houston, he was kind of more of that point guard and he didn't, he's been more of that hardened ball like the last two seasons, but I think it was two or three years ago, he led the league in assists. So it's like a, a capability that he does have. And I'll just throw this name out there. Joe Harris is another reason why I think it becomes so much easier for James Harden to play facilitator because Harris is such a great shooter. And now like most big threes, you don't have the elite shooting in which they have in Kyrie Harden and KD, but now all of a sudden you're putting on another elite three-point shooter, and then probably another competent three-point shooter in Jeff Green, who's been shooting lights out this season. That's just really tough to defend when they play five out. Yeah, the defense sucks at times, but are, is your offense still going to be as efficient as this team's offense, even with the defensive weakness that the Nets have? Yeah. yeah. I Joe mean, Harris, Harris is shooting what? The best jobs in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Harris is shooting, I think, what, 50% from three? Yeah. We'll see if he can sustain that. He, oh. he shot um, 48 the year he won uh, the three-point contest. So it, it's a doable number for yeah. Joe. And I yeah. mean, like, I think his looks are probably better than ever playing with the names he's playing with. Definitely. Who in the, who in the East scares you the most from a Nets perspective? Hmm. That's a great question. I'd be honest. I guess I would have to go with Philadelphia right yeah. off the top with Joel Embiid. No disrespect to the Bucs. I just think Coach Bud doesn't really get the best out of his players. And I think in crunch time, I feel a lot more confident with the Nets going bucket to bucket with those teams. And, you know, Joel Embiid just being a dominant force against the Nets, especially with the way DeAndre Jordan's been playing this season. After that, I, I don't think I really, and not to think that the Nets are like this godly team, but in some ways they really are. I'm not really scared of any teams in the East. I think Philly would probably be the one that'd be like, all right, they, they could possibly beat Brooklyn in the seven game series. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the Nets would be lying if they said this wasn't a championship or bus season. I mean, how often do you have these three guys healthy together? I think really, if I'm being straight up, the only team that I think I would feel has a 50, 50 chance about beating the Nets in a seven game series is the Lakers. Like yeah. I, I, even against the Clippers, I'm not as nervous just because they have some issues there. You know, the rest of the teams in the West, I don't think anybody's really up there. It's just you look at Anthony Davis, you look at LeBron James, you look at some of that size and some of the depth that has, okay, they could provide problems for the Nets. But again, the Nets could provide them with plenty of problems too. You're not buying Utah? <laughs> you know what? I bought Utah stock at the beginning of the season, and I think they probably have a chance of getting to the Western Conference Finals. But, I, you know, who's really that superstar? This is funny because we were just talking about this on the outlet when we were talking MVP race. It's like, you want to give them an MVP like candidate, but like no one on that team is up to MVP standards. Right. Well, they'll, they'll likely get a defensive player of the year candidate at least. Yep. Um, yeah. It's, it's interesting that the two teams you mentioned Philly and the Lakers um, it's obviously the big guys, which are going to be the main threat for the nets. Like, as you mentioned, like DJ is not going to be playing, you know, huge minutes in the playoffs. And if he is, you know, that could definitely be a problem in going against those, yeah. those big guys. Yeah. And it's not even just the, not even just the defense. It's the amount of offensive rebounds the Nets are giving up. I saw that against uh, Philly, they gave up uh, offensive rebounds on 40% of their shots. I mean, in the playoffs, when you're playing good teams, you can't be given second chances that frequently. Yeah. Honestly, I think like their defensive statistics are even skewed a little bit more because they're not necessarily playing bad like defense on the possessions is the fact that they're giving teams multiple opportunities to score. And as anybody knows, like the more chances they get, the easier it's going to be, especially on a lot of those offensive rebounds, you see the kick out to the open threes, the easy putback, or a guy just missing a rotation. So that, I think that's one of the more concerning things. I think with Kevin Durant playing a little bit more consistently, and if they can add another center, you know, via trade or at the deadline, then I feel a little bit more comfortable in that area, but I don't think they're ever going to be a dominant rebounding team. Yeah, I think too, it's so hard to find those centers that could play at the perimeter. 
Yeah, I mean, but the Nets just had one. They had, yeah, I was going <laughs> to say Jared Allen was the one. It's unfortunate that they had to include him in that trade, but like even guys they've discussed, JaVale McGee. I mean, we saw JaVale McGee in the playoffs last year, couldn't get off yeah. the bench. So we'll see if they could find somebody. I think a name that I would look at maybe is Nerlens Noel as somebody who has a little bit of mobility, but again, he's not giving you the same size you would need against a Joel Embiid. So, but at this point in time, you're, you know, beggars can't be choosers. You have to just find bodies that are kind of helping. I don't think Norvell Pell is going to be that guy. You got to take what you can get. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier, Steve Nash, obviously rookie head coach. Um, you obviously have better insight to the team than we do. I was wondering um, what kind of impact uh, Mike D'Antoni's having? You know, obviously he coached Nash, he coached Harden. Um, I imagine that he has a, you know, a pretty giant influence just given his relationship with those two guys and obviously them going out and getting Harden. Um, yeah, I, I don't think the Nets acquire Harden without D'Antoni being on staff. Like, I think it's that big of a deal, just feeling confident with the player that he could be with these other two stars. And I think offensively, you know, you see some of the fingerprints out there. Obviously, we haven't heard from the coaches as much as you typically do during a regular season because of COVID. But I would say there's moments where he has some of the weaknesses that D'Antoni has, you know, in playing the short yeah. rotation, you know, letting his stars kind of do too much, where I think at different points, I'd want to Steve, Steve Nash be a little bit more hands on. I think this happened at the end of the Clippers game. You know, he was talking to Jeff Green. This kind of got some attention. And he told Jeff Green to sprint to the other end of the floor. The Nets ended up throwing the pass. Jeff Green got the and one, and that kind of sealed the game. And I think mm -hmm. him utilizing some of his actual knowledge, basketball knowledge, and not being afraid to step on the toes of some of these star players is important. But I think he's still kind of getting his footing. I don't think he feels 100% comfortable because – I'm not going to lie. There's been games where Steve Nash has probably lost the Nets the game. Like that's happened this season. And that's kind of expected from a rookie head coach, but he's grown too. Especially under a spotlight, like, yep. but like they're under right now. And especially yeah, was, with that issue was kind of connected to DeAndre Jordan and Jared Allen. Like there are specific games where DJ closed or played too many minutes where if you play Jared Allen, the better player, the Nets are probably winning that game. So I think it's just situations where like that learning. And I think him taking, more of like hey this is my team i'm in charge and i think you're seeing that confidence grow moving forward yeah, yeah. well he's probably relieved he doesn't have to even deal with the um with the situation with Allen and uh yeah and deandre anymore because i think I, I mean i think it's obvious that jordan was playing because of the relationship he had with the other guys yeah and then he eventually started jared allen and he, yeah. he realized that hey like jared allen is like two tiers better of a player than DeAndre Jordan at this point. I think he's probably one of the best young complimentary centers in the NBA. And I mean, the Nets had Jared Allen still on this roster. I would probably say they're favorites over the Lakers to win it all. That's how much better I think Jared Allen is than DeAndre Jordan. And he also had some really good games against Rudy Gobert, Nicole Jokic, and Joel Embiid. He had some huge games against the Nets too. Yeah. He just, <laughs> he he, I mean, he's, he's putting up numbers. I, I saw a stat like a week ago, the first Cavs player to have 23 points, 15 rebounds, and five blocks in a game. Yeah. The, la the last uh, Nets question I wanted to ask before we move on to some more NBA thoughts is, do you have a general issue with Kyrie or Harden getting the final shot over Durant, or do you more so just see it as kind of flow of the offense situation? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm always going to prefer Kevin Durant to get the shot in most situations. I think actually Kyrie has done enough to probably deserve it. Obviously hit that huge shot against the Warriors in the finals, but also like Kyrie has these periods where he just doesn't really miss. Like, it's just kind of remarkable. James Harden, fine. Like if he wants to take it occasionally, that's fine. But I think Kevin Durant is usually my top choice. Kyrie probably second, James Harden third. But in my opinion, I'd rather just see like, some way where they get an advantage you know whoever has the weakest defender hey Kawhi Leonard's on you know Kevin Durant 
Paul George is on James Harden, that means Kyrie Irving has somebody else. Even if it's Patrick Beverly, who I think is a little overrated as a defender, let Kyrie go to work. I just say go to whoever has the advantage. And against every single team in the league, there's going to be someone who has an advantage. Definitely. Keep I, uh, What's up? Try to keep ego out of it. Yeah, yeah. that's challenging with these guys. I, I know you. I would uh, say this though. I would say this team has done a pretty good job of managing ego, and I think I'm going to give James Harden a ton of credit for coming here and being like, "Hey, this is Kyrie and Kevin Durant's team. I'm going to play point guard. And I'm going to fit in. These guys are already doing their thing." So credit to James Harden. A week ago, is that he seemed like overly passive for the first couple of weeks that he was on the team, like really like yep. not looking for a shot, really trying to get others involved, and then just you know playing within the flow. So yeah. I think some of that too was also like him trying to break habits. Like there was times during that stretch where he was not just catching and shooting. And it's like, well, that makes sense because in Houston, that wasn't really an opportunity that he had. So now it's like, oh shit, I have open threes. I need to take these. Yeah. We were joking that Harden can't shoot unless he's gone through the legs like eight, nine <laughs> times. He doesn't I'm not going to lie. It felt like that for the first five games and now yeah. he's starting to get back to normal. Yeah, Nick, I know you're mostly focused on the Nets. Is there a team outside of the Nets uh, particularly that you've enjoyed watching this year? Oh, man. Uh, I, have to, I mean, I typically watch a lot of the other teams in the league. Yeah. You know, Charlotte's caught some of my attention with LaMelo Ball, Miles Bridging, Gordon Hayward playing well. You know, uh, my co-host on the outlet is a big Pacers fan, so I usually catch some of those games. The Clippers a little bit. You know, like I at this point in the year, I really try to do my best to jump around. You know what I mean? To get a feel for so many different teams. But I'll be honest, like this year has been the hardest in terms of getting a feel for team because next thing you know, someone's out from COVID protocol. Oh, that game you wanted to watch, it's that postponed or whatever it might be. So like, it's also been really fun watching a uh, staff back with Golden State, you know, being healthy this year. I think that's probably something that a lot of fans miss and myself included of just like this dude having these outbursts of insane games. It's been one of the real treats of the year. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say the Warriors, uh, I've been enjoying the most. I mean, I have a soft spot for Wiseman. I know he wasn't playing too many minutes when he was healthy, but there's something about him when he's out there where he's just got all this raw talent and you feel like they could eventually utilize him more. So I feel like I mean, it's also just the amount of enjoyment that the Warriors play with is different than another team. Steph is just a happy guy. Like, yeah. you know, when he's hitting his shots it's and like, happiness, yeah. Even Draymond like kind of brings some extra energy. And just to touch on Wiseman, like I like Wiseman's game. I think like a lot of draft experts, I'm not a big draft guy. I don't watch a ton of college basketball. So I just kind of listen to what they say. And they seemed really low on him. But what I see in him is like you said, like some really raw talent that could be a great fit for the modern NBA. He just needs to get his feel, basketball IQ, and experience up. Yeah, he's played such little basketball that yep. I think give him a give him two, three years, I think he'll be a stud. You got a uh, team you've been enjoying, Kyle? Um, I, yeah. Um, Denver. I love watching Denver. I think Jokic yeah. is one of the more fun players in the league to watch. Um, obviously a one of a kind player getting the <laughs> ball at the post and either, you know, making no look passes. Well, he's, he's also so good at reading a double. Um, yeah. we'll find the, find the open guy or shoot right over him. His, his patented, uh, moon ball that hits scrapes the bottom of the ceiling and then it's nothing but net. His ability to process plays at the speed in which he does is remarkable. And I think like everyone just thinks his vision of basketball IQ, but like you said, he's reading things like two or three plays ahead. That's a team that I would absolutely love to trade for Bradley Beal. Like that would just be incredible. That'd be so much fun. I don't care if they have to give up Jamal Murray. Like if they keep Michael Porter, trade one of those guys, get Bradley Beal in there. I think that's like the perfect compliment to Jokic because 
he's such a great shooter. And Bradley Beal also has a great understanding of angles and playing off ball and on ball. Yeah. I mean, I know we've only played 20 games, but I was one of those guys that thought that Murray had taken that next step. I thought we were going to see bubble Murray for in the regular season, but it just hasn't been the case, unfortunately. So funny enough, we, uh, we did a preview show and we were talking about Jamal Murray and I was there and I've given Jamal Murray a lot of shit in the past. Just like he hasn't lived up to the hype. He's just a sporadic player. And I was like, you know what? He had the great bubble, but I'm just not really sure if he's that guy. And he's just kind of gone back to being that inconsistent thing. Like, do you think it's just his actual talent or it's just the fact that he's not in the bubble and now there's other aspects of his life he has to deal with? Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting point. I mean, he just, even in the early on in the season, he just didn't look as aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, I mean, he was also shooting lights out in the bubble. I don't know how sustainable that is, but still, I mean, he's a good, not great player. And I agree with you. He's not, I don't think you could win with him as your number two. Yeah, I agree. That's why they, they need a true closer. And like he, he had those big moments in the postseason, but consistently he's not the guy that I want to like live or die with, especially with Jokic on that roster. And I think like just talking Denver real quick, like their roster is just deficient defensively. And when your best player is deficient defensively and you don't have a supporting cast for that, it just kind of puts you in a hole. Yeah. And Gary Harris is never healthy. I yeah. wanted to, uh, I wanted to play a quick little game of uh, in or out. I wanted to list off some teams for you and Kyle. They think will either make the playoffs or not start with the Eastern conference. This is by far the hardest year to I ever know. do. <laughs> I, I literally just did a segment before I hopped on with you guys with Corey and we were trying to figure out who, who's going to be a seller at the deadline. And like, there's like two teams because everybody is in the freaking playing or playoff race. Yeah, I know. Especially I know. in the West, because like even Minnesota is like an absolute like dog crap team, but they might not get their pick even if they're one of the worst teams in the league. Yep. So, like it's really just OKC in the West that's happy with moving down the, the board. Yeah. And yeah. they have to try to make Carl Anthony Towns happy. And like that yep. poor guy's had like one of the worst years that any human could possibly have. And like, yeah, there's been talk about D'Angelo Russell being moved, but D'Lo's also Kat's best friend. So yep. it's like, yep. what are we going to do here? And not only is it like bunched in the standings, but then you have the first year of the plan. So like, yep. if you like, you don't have to get to eight, you only have to get to 10. And 10 a lot easier than eight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I want to do a start. This is a team I'm always uh, fond of. I want to start with the Raptors. You think they make it? Oh, I, I'm going to say in long as they don't trade Kyle Lowry. Like if I'm under the assumption they're going to keep the roster, I think they just have too many veteran players. Nick Nurse is too good of a coach. Like it, Norman Powell, when he starts, is like a really good player. When he comes off the bench, he isn't. So I think just like trying to find ways to utilize these guys. They always bring in like these players that just end up playing really well. Like, uh, Chris uh, Boucher or Boucher, whatever, like that dude is awesome. Like I, I I can't sleep on the Raptors because even last year, I thought they would take a pretty big step back in terms of being like lower in the standings and they didn't. So like, I know they lost Ibaka, they lost Gasol, but I, I got to go with Kyle Lowry and Fred VanVleet here. Yeah. You think yeah. Kyle? Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, and I think it was today really that I saw the news coming across that, um, you know, teams might be looking to shop for Lowry. So that could go to the, the your point about, um, you know, our team's looking to buy or sell, but um, I think one of the, one of the key free agents of this off season is actually Masai Ujiri. So they're going to want to keep the uh, playoff streak going to entice him. Um, Yeah. So yeah. And and just given the, the playoff pedigree, I think they win, they've won 50 games like each of the last six years. So they'll find a way to at least squeeze into the top 10. Or another idea with the Masai thing would be like, hey, Masai, we'll extend you. You can do whatever you want with the roster. If you want to ship out Lowry and get a ton of assets, you can do it too. That's true. They're they're a tough team to gauge, but like at the same time, it's like, 
when do they want to cut the string? It feels like a team that just really doesn't want to cut the string because they had all those years with DeMar DeRozan. And instead of being like, hey, we're going to kind of rebuild here, they actually went all in and got Kawhi. So, like, that's a team that's hard to predict. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think they'll make it too. I also think the investment they made in Van Fleet would just make you think that they're not in sell mode when a lot of people thought they would. I mean, people, some people, I think, view them as maybe a suitor for Beal too. So you never know yeah. what they're up to. They have there. It was weird. They were also a name that was mentioned the James Harden stuff yeah. a little bit too. So and also like Pascal Siakam's eventually going to start playing good again, right? <laughs> Is he? We'll see. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the next team I had on here, this is an easier call, I think, was the Heat, who have been. I mean, I knew I a lot of us thought they wouldn't be as good as they were last season, but it's almost. I know they've had a lot of COVID issues too, but it's bizarre how poorly they've been playing. Yeah, I got in for here. I think the biggest issue for them, you mentioned the COVID thing. Jimmy Butler was out for a long time. And like, that's a team that's really just led by Butler. I think Tyler Hero was out for a little bit. And Bam's honestly become their best player. Like, he's just that good and he's really excelled. So I'm all in on the Heat. I think Eric, Eric Spolstra is a great coach and Pat Riley's not shy. If they need to add a piece at the deadline, they'll find something that kind of give them the extra boost. Yeah, I think Bam's really improved his playmaking this year as well. Like, you yeah. know, see him with the ball at the top of the key. Um, they'll either, like, pick and pop, and then he can make the extra pass or take it to the lane and shoot a floater. Um, he's one of the best watches in the league. But, yeah, I think it's impossible to, to not say in for them. And then, you know, I think they'll be a problem once they get in, too. Yeah, yeah they're going to be an annoying team, like, regardless of who they face in the first round. For sure. I, I haven't watched the Heat as much as I probably should, but – I don't know, Nick, have you watched a good amount of Tyler here? I feel like there were a lot of expectations on him this season. I know it's still a young season, but have you seen much growth? Uh, he's missed him? some time this year. I've seen a little bit of him. I mean, I would have included him in a million trades that they say that they won't include him for. I don't know why you would take Tyler Hero off the table in a James Harden trade. Like, it just is ridiculous in the sense of like, yeah, Tyler Hero's a good player. He had a hot stretch in the postseason, but like physically looking at him and his skills, like, what's his cap fringe all-star maybe a couple all-star appearance like he just lacks some of those factors that really push your game to the next level maybe he'll prove me wrong but like i just feel like the hype for tyler hero was just a little too much kind of remind me of jamal murray thing a little bit in the bubble it's just like recency bias that's always kind of a thing in the nba especially with last year with the regular season being cut off and then you had the bubble like Tyler Hero was good in the regular season. And then the bubble, he just played out of his mind. And I also think one reason he looked so good was Kemba Walker looked so bad for the Celtics that they got away with having Tyler Hero on Kemba Walker. If Kemba Walker is his prime normal self, like Tyler Hero probably broke his ankles five times in that series. <laughs> yep. Everybody always likes whatever's new. Yep. Could um, have been an all-time sell moment, <laughs> sell high moment for, uh, for Hero. Right. It's weird because Pat Riley's a smart dude. Like, I don't know if maybe it's just some stubbornness or his ego being like, I drafted this guy and people were sleeping on him and he's my guy. But like, it like also said, seems like he's Jimmy's like best friend. So maybe yeah. that plays a role. He yeah. does have, I will say he like really is like what you think of a heat player, like that little toughness. The the swag. Yeah. And like, he's willing to get up at three 30 in the morning and train with Jimmy Butler, which, you know, you guys know that eventually you have to sleep. Like that's part of training. Working on ball handling at three in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Hyatt or wherever they were. <laughs> the next team I had uh, was your uh, Hornets, Nick. You think they're going to, you, you know what? I think in? so. I think they're going to get in. I think they'll get in at least in the playing game. I think, you know, LaMelo ball has been awesome. He's he just has like that factor. I, I just love the fact that like, this dude will touch the ball for like a tenth of a second and he'll already have a pass that's ending up with someone scoring. Gordon Hayward's looked really good, way better than I thought he did when he signed that contract. Tarot's ears looking like a pretty good player. I actually could see the Hornets being buyers because my MJ just 
if he has a sniff of the playoffs, like that dude is definitely wanting to see his team in there. Yeah, I was not a big Lamella guy heading into uh, the season, but I mean, I think I've been proven wrong pretty quickly. I mean, he. I mean, the draft experts made you think that he was this terrible person and that his game would never translate to the NBA. And then meanwhile, it's like, it looks like he was created for the NBA. Yeah, you're right. They made it seem like he totally didn't have a shit together and <laughs> wasn't locked in. It seems like the opposite. What a do lot you got, of bias Kyle? against his dad, too. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's fair. Kyle, you think they make it? Kyle's, Kyle's, uh, Kyle thought ball would be good. What's that? You thought ball would be good based on your I fantasy I did, team. yeah, seeing as he's one of the mainstays on my uh, fantasy team. Um, and it's due to that loyalty with him that um, I will I'll agree with you again, Nick, and say in. But um, it's tough with these 10 spots. Um, it's hard not to say in. But, yeah, like you said, like the, uh, the ball, Rozier, and um, Hayward combo has been like one of the best surprises of the, of the season so far. Um, there is the danger of like the Hayward injury, not to, you know, have a bad omen or, uh, you know, a rookie wall for, uh, LaMelo. Those would be the two factors, but I think they can maintain a pace that's right around, uh, 500, if not just over. Yeah. And I think like you mentioned with LaVar kind of making you think LaMelo would be worse is because everybody overhyped the hell out of Lonzo and like Lonzo is a solid NBA player, but they made us believe that he was going to be magic Johnson or like some elite type of player. And like, that's why I think people were second guessing LaMelo so much is because like, Oh, well, you know, you just told his us brother. This. Yeah. But yeah. actually I think LaMelo is probably already almost better than Lonzo in certain ways. Like obviously yeah. Lonzo is more ready for the NBA because he has the experience, but I think ceiling, it's probably substantially higher for LaMelo. Absolutely. All right. And the always compelling. Wait, what about you, right? I think the Hornets will get in too. I think I'm, I'm, I'm buying pretty high on a ball just in general. I mean, I think we've already seen what he can do. I think what Kyle said is probably the main pointer. If Hayward can stay healthy, I think their playoff team. Hayward, not he doesn't like look like Utah Hayward, but I mean, he's close. Hayward yeah. has been everyone. Everyone hated that signing. And again, it's early to say there's a lot of years left on that. And we'll see if he can stay healthy, but Hayward's been, Hayward's been a solid number two on a legit team. He's just probably asked to be the number one in Charlotte. It'll yeah. be really interesting to see how the the forward position in the East shakes out for the All-Stars because there's like there's a backdrop of, of people and there's going to be some unhappy, unhappy guys. And we got yeah. three locks off the top. You know, you got KD, you got Giannis and you got Jason Tatum. Yeah. So what are yeah. you doing after that? Like, that's yeah. where it gets really fun. Right. Yeah, we're going to we're going to see the classic a few guys that are appalled that they didn't make the team. But realistically, there's going to be guys that are great players that aren't close to making the all. Yeah, this team. is like my one gripe with people on Twitter is like that everyone will be like, oh, this guy, he needed to be an all star. He needed to be an all star. It's like, OK, who are you taking out then? Please yeah. let me know, because if he needed to be an all star, then someone has to go. And like no one wants to remove anybody. Yeah. And the East is absolutely loaded now. But you can't have 25 all stars. Yeah. <laughs> The last team I had was the uh, always compelling Knicks who I'm not, I'm in between on this, but I also, I do not like the Derrick Rose trade they made. I think that that's ultimately going to stunt the growth of some of their younger guys, including quickly. And I feel like Thibodeau is going to play Rose 30 plus minutes a night, which is going to take away from some of these young guys that look good. I mean, obviously they play different positions, but Toppin's barely been able to see the floor. So I would say the Knicks maybe make that plan, but I don't think they're in that final eight. I don't think they make the postseason. Yeah, I have him as, I think, as a playing team. Yeah. I think the Rose thing could go one of two ways, like you said. It could really 
damage some of the younger players because Rose again is he's a solid player. He's not the same player he once was. His numbers really aren't great this season, but he's taking away touches. Not only he's taking away minutes, but he's taking away touches because his usage rate has been 25 to 30% his entire career. So like you know, we, we need quickly to get the ball. We need RJ Barrett to get the ball. Even Julius Randall's had a high usage rate and he's having a really good season. So it's just like, if, if Tibbs can get Rose to buy in, it would make sense. And then also there's been some rumblings about Austin rivers being moved. If yeah. rivers is moved, the move makes a little bit more sense, but again, Derek Rose, never a good spot up shooter. Nick's one of the worst three point shooting teams in the entire NBA. Uh, I'm not, a, not a giant fan of the move, but I think the Knicks would probably squeeze into that playing game because they just play with some good effort. Tibbs has them playing hard. They play defense. I'd say they'll probably be around that 10 and 11 spot. It's between them and Cleveland, really, for that yeah. last spot. Yeah, I was going to say the same. Um, but I, it hurts me to say, but I think I'll, um, I'll have them on the outside looking in just because right now they are in that eight seed. Um, and right, right, right after them is Toronto or Tampa, I guess, the Tampa Raptors. <laughs> Uh, it's the Raptors, the Cavs, who we mentioned are a pretty fun, exciting team. And then, you know, just after them, not too far behind is the Heat. Um, so I think ultimately those three teams do end up above them and the Knicks finish around 11, 10 or 11. Yeah, I think it also could come down to that final stretch. Like, I think we'd all agree the Heat are going to be in there. They might end up being the seventh or eighth. Toronto's more likely to be higher than Charlotte, New York or Cleveland. And then it's like, all right, whoever doesn't get an injury or maybe makes that one little additional trade is just going to give them that boost. Or it could come down, to be honest, as sad as it is, someone testing positive for COVID. Yeah. yeah. Be very fitting. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on to the Western Conference, I think just to clarify it, yeah, because it obviously is the first year with the official going into the season knowing they have the plan, just a team we actually think will win their playing game, be in that final eight. I think the West is even tighter than the East with just some – talented rosters that realistically aren't going to make it um, starting with golden state. Nick, you think they, uh, you think they get in that final eight? Yeah. I think I'm like on the Steph bandwagon a little yeah. bit. I, I never even knew I was here until I started watching the games again this year. So uh, give me a Steph Curry. I think Draymond green is also like an underrated player. His stats suck, but like, he just has some intangible stuff. His leadership with Andrew Wiggins, Kelly Oubre, and even James Wiseman to an extent, like he helps raise the ceiling of lesser players. So I think, you know, they should be able to get in that spot. And in a play-in series, like, give me the experienced team. And that's Steph Curry. And I also wouldn't be surprised when they make some minor move at the deadline to add like a bench player or two. They really could use another playmaker. Yeah, did I was going to ask you if you thought that. Good, Kyle. I was just going to say, did either of you guys watch any of that game against Luca on Saturday night? Steph. I caught the highlights. It, it was pretty wild. It was. Yeah. I think it was, it, it was, um, you know, it was back and forth. Like you read about. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Kyle? I feel like you're going to have the Warriors on. Yes, sir. You know me too well. Um, I think to be in, you're going to have to be, you know, just over the cusp of 500. Um, and I think, like you said, the experience and just Steph and Draymond in, in of themselves, um, they can win you, they can get you to, um, 500. Um, so yeah, I'll have them, I'll have them in. And if Ubre can make like, you know, just 30% of his threes, they'll be in a pretty good spot. Yeah. Yeah. He could, he could miss a few nights ago. Um, you know, I would have the Warriors in as well. I think they're talent. I think with, I don't think Draymond is not, is allowing this team to not be an eight seed and Curry's Curry can stay healthy. He's back to MVP level. So I'd have them in too. The next team I have is the Mavericks, who have been obviously a huge disappointment. I oh, actually man. have the Mavericks out. I I don't want to overreact, but I think well, first of all, we know Porzingis doesn't look the same way he did, especially defensively. Some of the 
some of the footage of him playing defense on the perimeter and guys just blowing right by him is concerning, but yep. even Luca, I mean, we saw this last year and I love Luca, but just more so his attitude throughout the game. He's kind of deals with the refs. Like he's a 15 year veteran <laughs> when it's his third season in the league. Yep. I know Trey young kind of does that too, who I'm not, not a fan of, but I don't know. I could see unless they make a move and Porzingis is not the same asset he was, I could see the Mavericks just, just having a disappointing season. Yeah. I mean, this is really tough because this is kind of one of those teams where they're not playing up to the level in which we expected before the season started, even with Porzingis not being there. Like a lot of the guys just aren't playing in up to the standard in which you expect. So it's tough to, to assume they're going to get there. And then the whole Porzingis thing, like you said, like his mobility right now is terrible. And that was really one of his strengths, like being such a, a rangy big that could shoot threes, block shots, throw down oops. Like he doesn't have that same pop, man. This is tough. I feel like, I'll say this. I think they'll get in the play-in game, but I think they might end up not getting the spot. Like they'll lose in the play-in game mm -hmm. because they might have to face Golden State or like a team like Portland, who I would just probably give like Golden State or Portland against Dallas in a play-in game. I'm probably going with one of those two teams. Yeah. Just the inconsistency factor and how much they rely on Luka too. Um, I hate to be contrarian, but I'll have to say out too. Um, and I think one of the largest pats on the back that I can give myself from going into the season is that I was kind of in disbelief and up in arms at the Seth Curry for Josh Richardson trade. Um, you I sound like all the Dallas fans on my timeline. <laughs> <laughs> I swear I got the receipts. Um, but Seth Curry was like one of the more surprising, like um, out of nowhere playmakers in the bubble. Like yep. whenever it wasn't Luca getting to the hole, um, you know, whenever he needed a possession off, they would give it to Curry and he, you know, he was getting to the, to the rim and making plays like, um, you know, like a competent, um, you know, second tier. He has um, that good in-between game too. You know, that floater slash mid range yep, where he's, yeah. he's just really comfortable with the ball. And like you said, Kyle, he's supplying them with multiple factors. Not only is he, you know, an elite off ball shooter and giving you that spot up option, creating gravity for your offense, but he's giving you a secondary playmaker, a secondary scorer, somebody that can just fill in a lot of roles. And like you said, alleviate the pressure off Luca. And that's something that they haven't gotten this year. And they just right. have nobody that can just make his life easier. No, exactly. I mean, they're still relying on Hardaway as a second option. It, it's almost like Hardaway on the Knicks where he'll take a contested three with 20 seconds left in the shot clock. I mean, people were still holding on to the one good year Josh Richardson had in Miami. I think what we're seeing this year, this is kind of what he is. He's not yeah. he's not a difference-making player. I mean, he's a nice little piece, but... He's a fit starter. You know, I think yeah. in the right situation, like if he can just be your role player and you don't need to count on him on a regular basis, like he can be solid. But like you said, like they want him to fill in a role that he doesn't really have the skills to fill in. And the same thing happened to him in Philadelphia. Yeah. yeah. I, it was, it's easy to kind of put off that one Philly season just because it's so strange, the whole Simmons and Embiid, like you have to play yeah. a certain way. So, I mean, you, you think like with Dallas, you, you can spread it out more. So, you know, his playmaking ability is easier to shine, but um, like you guys are saying, like it, it, you know, hasn't been a lot out of him this year. I think yeah, like, I mean, honestly, moving forward, his best, place is like as that high effort energy player that plays great defense and then gives you kind of inconsistent spot up three-point shooting which is okay and like i said that's good enough to be a fit starter like i love him on the nets if they were able to get in yeah you know no, he'd I mean? be great there so yeah. they I mean, just I know they were... i would no, just say ahead. this one more point ryan uh yeah like they have the two stars there but the one star isn't playing like a star yeah yeah no that's really what it is also i mean this was the best offensive team in the league last year i know yep. they thought they needed to be more defensive focused but 
in trading Curry. I mean, granted, I've seen some stats that there are like 10 teams this year that have a better offense than the best offense of all time. Yeah, that would have been. Yeah, exactly. So who knows? But the next team I have, we got two more is the Houston Rockets who I'm, I'm riding high on. I'm a fan of, of what they're doing defensively. I think like many people uh, believe Steve Silas deserves a ton of credit for what he's been dealing with. And the fact they're playing good basketball, I think just the question with Houston is, and I have them in is that they need to stay healthy whether it's Wall, Oladipo, and Wood, they have so many guys that are struggling to stay on the floor. But Christian Wood, when healthy, has been one of the, I mean, has been a two way player that offensively is a huge problem. So, on a steal of a contract, too. It's yeah, like, well, why, why, why did Detroit no let him go? Yeah. Well, I, don't ask me about Detroit because they're just the strangest team in the league with the moves they made. They collected centers and then they got rid of the best center they had in the roster. They needed Plumley. Yeah. Yeah. Mason Plumley, game changer, all-star. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, we need to give him 21 million and that clock strikes. Yeah. It reminds me when the Lakers signed, um, Luel Dang. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, I think they're still paying him. I think yeah, they he is. Yeah. Into God knows when, but yeah. That's a good point. I'm going to go out on the Rockets because uh, Tillman Fertitta, I think, is just all about saving that money. And I think that he's going to look to get off some contracts. I think the whole idea of getting Victor Oladipo never really made a ton of sense unless you were probably going to trade him at this deadline to get another asset. Because, like, obviously we know that Karis LeVert had, you know, the the cancer on the kidney, which obviously hopefully he's all right. He's actually one of my favorite players in the entire NBA. Like, in my head, it makes no sense to take Victor Oladipo over him unless you're looking for Oladipo to be traded. Because, like, Karis on his contract and around in terms of, like, skill level, they're not that much different. Yeah, I said the same thing to Kyle when that trade was made. I didn't understand why they um, why they made the Levert Oladipo trade, but to your point, and I guess this goes against the Rockets having a any long-term success. But yeah, I mean, you would think, as you mentioned, the only reason to make that trade was for future assets. And they didn't want Jared Allen, which is so weird, but... Yeah, <laughs> although they have so... Houston, though, is able to find these guys that are nowhere, like Jay Sean Tate, who yeah. they find a guy every year nowhere who yep. becomes a key rotation player that a lot of teams would, would love. Yeah, I'd love to have some of those guys in the Nets. But yeah. It actually worked out really well for Houston um, in making that move for Oladipo. Obviously, the whole Levert thing aside, but their their goal was to to get him and kind of have him audition for the rest of the league. And he has yep. been kind of a stud in his you know couple weeks with Houston. So um, he's got good vibes with John Wall. Yeah, yeah, and they fleeced uh, the Wizards in the Wall trade. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know we were going to bring up Russell Westbrook today, but there we go. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't have to talk about him. Can't make it through. Um, I'll keep it short. I'm with Nick again. Um, I think I think they're out. I think they're one of the few sellers at the at the deadline. But I know that you you have been on the Houston train, so I appreciate yeah. your allegiance. Right, I wouldn't well, be surprised if we see a buyout. Like if they, for whatever reason, can't move PJ Tucker, I could see PJ Tucker being so mad about still being there that he'd give them back a million or $2 million on his contract just so he could leave. Especially if let's hypothetically say the Nets are the team that wants to sign him. They still have their taxpayer mid-level exception, which is $5.7 million. So if, if he was like the Houston, all right, I'll give you back five mil. Like Tillman Fertitta is doing that every day of the week if it's saving him money. Yeah, no, that'll be interesting to see. It'd be shocking if PJ Tucker ends the season there, realistically. Yeah, he's just pissed half the time. When he does get bought out, you know exactly where he's going to. Yeah, 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 the ties. Yep. No, he would fit well in that corner in Brooklyn and playing his defense. Um, The last team I had was the Blazers, who I'm not very high on. I mean, they've had a lot of injuries, but well, it's a shame too because McCollum was, which is strange for a guy in. 
not later in his career, but what he's been in the league for eight, nine years to take that big of a leap that he was taking, especially um, from a three point shooting perspective. So I don't know if they could stay healthy if they have the defense and the West is so stacked that if McCollum and uh, Jurkic can't get uh, back soon enough, I can see Portland missing the boat. Yeah. I mean, CJ was almost playing better to Dane and start the yeah. year. He probably was to be honest. So I think if they can maintain until he comes back, I have them being in. I think like they're just kind of a team that doesn't die. You know what I mean? Like you expect them to. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like everybody wrote them off. It was, oh, the Pelicans are going to be in there. The Grizzlies are going to be in there. Oh, nope. It's the Blazers again, Dame Lillard. And I think like, you know, the way Dame's playing, I think also, I really like Gary Trent Jr. That's a guy that I think needs to get more minutes out there. And maybe some of these other players, I know Robert Covington's had a somewhat rough start to the season. If he can kind of get things going, there could be some hope there. And I think they also have a lot of tradable contracts. We're like, hey, Robert Covington isn't working out here. Let's move him to another team and bring in another player that maybe fits us better. Or same thing with Derek Jones or something like that. I think they're Terry Stotts is a good coach and they just have some good avenues in terms of making the roster better or finding the fit. And I think Damon CJ, if, like you said, if CJ is healthy, like that's enough to probably get in the, the West, just because that's like a duo that you can count on. And this team is really like the core of this team has been together for a while. So that gives you some more confidence over teams that are like newly assembled. Yeah. I mean, I know they made some acquisitions this off season, but I feel like they still, when they reach the postseason, they have certain guys that are solid depth players in the regular season that come playoff time are borderline unplayable. I mean, Cantor, I know First everyone round, loves Carmelo, sure. but Carmelo is is tough to have on the floor in a playoff situation too. So I feel I feel like it's a shame because Lillard's one of those all-time players, and it looks like at best, unless they make a move, what are they this year? First round, at best, the second round exit. Yeah, I think it's probably a lock for a first round exit yeah. again, to be honest. Yeah. But I guess like that's what you got to try to do. I think the whole mellow thing is just like his mobility is bad. It yeah. is just, I think it was Emmanuel quickly. I saw cook his ass like a, a week ago. And it's just like mellow, like, bro, you're playing small forward, power forward, and you're giving this guy three feet of space. Like, you're not a center. You're not Ennis Cantor. What are we doing here? Yeah. Quickly has got the best floater in the league right now. Yeah. His floater is nasty. <laughs> it's just like, he doesn't miss. I mean, yeah. sometimes you get in that stretch though with your floaters. I mean, you guys know Tony Parker, like when that dude was on with his floater, good luck. Cause it's just that in between game. That's so hard to defend and pick and roll. Yeah. Tony Parker was a menace. Um, but you know, back to the Blazers, they're just like perennially unhealthy. Like <laughs> with the Nurkic and uh, Collins. It's like, Man, Zach Collins has probably been like one of the biggest disappointments. <laughs> I bought yeah. some stock on him a few years ago, and yeah, that dude and has not been on the There court. were a few studs picked like right after him. I think didn't there was another him. Collins in the same draft, John Collins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, but I think yeah, the pedigree, I, the the Blazers, they're they're always there. They're they're, they're um, you know through hell or high water, they'll be in the playoffs um, and you know ready to get their asses kicked by um, you know one of the LA teams. Yeah. Nick, the last question I wanted to ask you before we let you go is, do you, you really think that the Nets, you think they, do you think they would beat the Lakers or how far do you think they'd go in a series with the Lakers? You know what? I mean, I always have a little more optimism because I do have a Nets podcast and I'm a Nets fan at the end of the day. So give me the Nets in seven, you know, I think like, as much as people want to bring up some of like the weaknesses the Nets have, like at the end of the day, do the Lakers have three players that can defend Kyrie, Kevin Durant and James Harden? You know what I mean? They don't. And like, what are you going to tell me? KCP or Alex Caruso is going to lock up Kyrie for a whole series, please. Like, yeah, sure. Anthony Davis, you could throw on Kevin Durant and you could probably throw LeBron and James Harden for a bit, but there's always going to be some type of mismatch. It just be important that the Nets, which I think they will acquire some type of competent center. Yeah. I could be overreacting. I mean, I don't know. 
if he's not healthy or he's just not into this season. I mean, Anthony Davis watching yeah. the Lakers looks half asleep during these games. And it's strange because you'd think LeBron at the age of 36, you'd think the guy in his 20s would take the load off LeBron, but it's yep. the opposite. And you wonder if that'll change going to the postseason. Maybe Anthony Davis will kind of step up in LeBron, but like it is strange. Like LeBron is neat. He's not necessarily playing a ton of minutes, but he still had to be their best player and like win these games. And LeBron, I don't think has missed a game. Anthony Davis has already missed a couple. So it's like, and there's always a thing with AD and I'm not trying to like throw shade at him, but he always gets these weird injuries where it's like his finger get caught in someone's Jersey. His foot lands the weird way. He like hits his hand on the rim. Like, I don't know what it is. The poor guy's just got some of the worst luck. I remember That's watching five the finals. minutes on the ground every game. Yeah. We watched the finals in the one game. It looks like, Oh shit. Anthony Davis just had like a serious injury. Uh-huh. He's back in, in the third quarter. It's like, what, what is going on? Yeah. Kyle and I are big LeBron fans. We were freaking out at that time when he, uh, yeah, I thought he was going to – I didn't think he was going to be able to play in game six, and then he, he's fine. So, yeah, now he has some – I mean, granted, it's hard to put too much trust in the injury reports in this season, but now he has some Achilles problem that he's listed out for us or questionable for. So I mean, we'll it say. also could be, too, is like even though Anthony Davis is that much younger than LeBron, he doesn't have the experience or he also probably doesn't put a million dollars into his body every year in terms of like the short turnaround. So like, okay, Anthony Davis just had his first long postseason run and then, okay, AD, we need you to come play games, you know, starting again in two months. Yeah. It's funny. The whole, the whole uh, sentiment going into the year is that like LeBron's going to slowly hand the reins over to AD um, and he'll be the one taking, taking games off, but it's been the exact opposite. Yeah. He said, uh, not so fast, too. <laughs> and now, yeah, now LeBron LeBron's shooting with uh, Brady. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> shooting 41% from three. It's unfair. Nick, yeah, I... thanks again for uh, coming on. This was awesome. I uh, obviously appreciate you taking the time. It was great to uh, get the Nets inside the NBA insight. And we absolutely wish you luck with everything. I appreciate it. A pleasure hopping on, guys. Good luck with what you're doing here. I think you're having some success. You guys got some good attitudes, and that's what really matters. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. Really good to Thank meet you. you.